Welcome to the Doximity Podcast, where we talk to people who are transforming healthcare. This is part one of a two-part special on LGBT health. In this episode, we talk to two student organizers of UCSF's annual LGBTQIA Health Forum. The 10th annual forum took place at the end of February. My name is Mark Jang. I'm currently a second year medical student at Stanford. Mark is also the president of LGBT Med at Stanford. Before entering medical school, Mark received his PhD in biomedical sciences at UCSF. It was during this time that he attended his first LGBT health forum and later helped organize it. It was one of the first times I started envisioning myself in the role of a healthcare provider mm-hmm. and you know, putting on that white coat and, and now talking to a patient. I know it was just role play at the time, but it started to dawn on me there's this very vulnerable power dynamic between a patient and doctor. I began to see how impactful that is. The forum is structured to include both formal lectures and breakout sessions, some of which allow students to practice interacting with LGBT patients. Another important part of the forum is the patient panels. Patients are invited to share their experiences with students and health professionals in attendance. I remember the stories from this one transgender patient. She spoke about the whispers and the comments she would hear behind her back from the healthcare staff. Some doctors being so uncomfortable about who she was that they just didn't want to treat her. She talked about how that shaped her experience with the healthcare community moving forward, as obviously it would. It's such a simple thing, but it means a lot, you know, when the doctor calls you into the room or the nurse calls you into the room just to see you, you know, the name that they use, the pronouns they use, that, that's, that matters, and sometimes they don't get it right. That's Michaela Taylor. I'm a fourth-year pharmacy student at UCSF. What really hit me close to home is I'm a pharmacy student at the pharmacy. They would call my old name instead of my right name at the pharmacy window. <laughs> they would shout it out because that's how I do it at the pharmacy. They shout out the name, they come to the window. And I had to say, can you not say that name? Little things like that, little microaggressions, but they really add up. They can make or break a patient's day. And if you are a healthcare provider and you hurt someone that way, and if it seems minor, they might never come back. They could become very sick as a result. Michaela was one of this year's co-chairs of the forum. She was not the patient Mark was referring to, but to some extent, she understands the struggles described. Being trans, I was interested in doing the LGBT forum. Trans healthcare is just starting to get off the ground. It's something that's still not even widely accepted amongst society in general. And so healthcare providers need to be understanding about that. And of course, trans patients who decide to transition have a whole slew of issues regard- with regards to the hormonal matters and what kind of other drugs they might be taking. As a pharmacy student, Michaela has a unique perspective on issues pertaining to her profession that aren't addressed in school. From the trans perspective, hormone therapy is something that we don't even talk about pharmacologically, and that's problematic because it's a very real situation that pharmacists are going to have to deal with. As Michaela explained, the intricacies of hormone therapy go beyond just how they might interact with other drugs patients are taking. Pharmacists do a really good job of knowing drugs. We know the little intricacies and the details about them, but a lot of the time you lose sight of the patient. 
In some cases, for example, a trans patient might have to be careful with how they have their medicines around. So if an underage or minor trans patient were to be taking hormones and they didn't want their family to know, perhaps a pharmacist could be cognizant of that and be careful around family members and trying to ensure confidentiality. That confidentiality is something Mark struggled to find when he was younger. I didn't feel comfortable going to my primary care physician at that point. I didn't want to see the physician my mom took me to. I would like Google free HIV testing clinic. I mean, it was really scary because I never had done that before. And honestly, I was not even comfortable saying that I was gay to my friends at that point. And to be able to say that to a complete stranger who I had no idea how they were going to react was really, really scary. On average, LGBT populations, like any minority group, are at higher risk for a number of health issues, including HIV. Because of stigma or lack of awareness, they receive poorer quality of care for these conditions. And as a result, as Michaela mentioned earlier, they become less likely to seek care in the future. Fortunately, Mark didn't have this negative experience. The nurse who was taking my information at the time, she was actually really great. I think she had a lot of experience, obviously being an HIV clinic that probably dealt with a lot of people like me. <laughs> I know that a lot of LGBT people don't have that experience as their first encounter. A provider may not be malicious in their way that they interact with LGBTQ individuals, but even just being uncomfortable or ignorant on some of these topics can make the patient feel really uncomfortable. Can you give me examples of ways that nurse made you feel comfortable? She would just ask like, okay, well, like, are you sexually active? And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And she'd be like, okay, are you sexually active with men, women, or both? And she just said it in such a normal and benign way that it just felt so easy to answer. And I was like, well, okay, well, you know, men. And she was like, okay. And she just like didn't bat an eye. And she continued asking these very personal questions. But I think it was the way she asked it that made me feel at ease. Like, you know, A, she's done this a million times. And B, the fact that I said men rather than women, like, was not a big deal at all. Even them having a box for you to identify as this gender identity or this sexual orientation, knowing that that's something that they want to know about you was already putting me in the mindset that this is something that they care about and this is something that, that they're going to address. So that's, I think, actually a, a very easy way for a lot of healthcare professionals to make that point clear even before the patient interacts with the doctor, kind of setting the tone. Michaela gave another example of how to and how not to interact with LGBT patients. It's a casual thing. Queer people are just people. I was calling a patient and uh, she was talking with her wife and I was like, oh, it had really nothing to do with anything. But I, I can just, I could imagine someone else being in my position who wasn't, you know, used to that, might have a weird reaction, like, oh, who was that, you know, like talking, and it's like, oh, it's my wife, and like, what? You know, it's, it's little things like that. For me, it's such a normal thing. I think that's how ideally it should be. It shouldn't be seen as anything special. Ultimately, you should just treat us the same way you'd treat anyone else, just with sensitivity and understanding of specific issues. I'm sure I've seen plenty of patients who are gay or lesbian or even trans, you know, without knowing. And ultimately, it's none of my business. A lot of healthcare providers are just not knowledgeable about these issues. And I've also heard a lot of patients feeling like, I, I'm coming to a doctor to seek healthcare advice, and I find myself ending up educating my healthcare provider on this. And it's honestly the responsibility of the healthcare provider 
to be knowledgeable on all the populations that they are seeking to serve. And that's exactly why the LGBT Health Forum exists at UCSF, to educate. We're also linking to some resources on Doximity for those who couldn't attend this year or who don't have similar resources at their home institutions. Unfortunately, a lot of young LGBTQ individuals, they, they are scared. They feel like they're going to be discriminated against. And so they don't go to their healthcare providers. And I get this because I did the same thing. And so I think changing that interaction and changing the perception about how the healthcare community does interact with LGBTQ individuals is really important because that's the first step. We're not going to be able to help people if we don't ever interact with them. Thankfully, uh, I think most healthcare professionals, because they have such level of empathy and because they do want to help people, that they're willing to accept and understand. They just need to be exposed. I see the good in healthcare providers. We want to help everyone, but unless we actually are doing it, the end result is going to be that people are not being helped. Michaela gave the example of a fellow future pharmacist and his thoughts after attending the event last year. He's originally from uh, Rwanda. He's seen a lot in his life, but he hasn't really seen a lot from the queer population because it's not really as much of a thing over in Rwanda. He was just so excited and, and happy to learn about it. It made me feel so good to know that someone who lived through something so significant, you know, could still learn something about our community. And I've learned a lot from him about what he went through. We always can learn from each other. A big thank you to Michaela Taylor and Mark Jang. Thank you also to Dr. Madeline Deutsch, Marcus Ferroni, Max Malloy, Alina Kung, and Shada Bowie, who we did not hear from but contributed to this podcast. Thank you to UCSF and the organizers of the LGBT Health Forum. And thank you for listening to the Doximity Podcast.